Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas uh, again. Uh, Would you bow your heads with me as we uh, pray? Lord, we are so thankful for the gift of your word, your word which uh, encourages, rebukes, challenges, convicts, guides, blesses, encourages, strengthens. And I pray that you would uh, speak to us here this morning as we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, as you have probably noticed, uh, the days are getting shorter and shorter, and Christmas is getting closer and closer. Uh, but good news, um, although this Friday is going to be the shortest day of the year, that means that every day after that is then going to be getting longer and longer and longer all the way till summer. So it's plain sailing from then on. So I feel like that's a great Christmas present uh, to cling tightly to here. But as we moan and complain about like the gloomy weather and the lack of snow and the short nights and everything else, I want you to think about the, the little town of Rikan in Norway. This is a, a, a small town, maybe just a couple thousand people nestled in the mountains just west of Oslo. That's in the southern area of Norway. And this town is surrounded, as you can see, by these huge mountains. It's very picturesque. They have all kinds of skiing and everything else. But this valley is so narrow and the mountains are so enormous that for six months of the year, they are in complete shadow. Like, it never changes from this view that you see here. That's it. That's when they wake up. That's in the middle of the day. That's when they go to sleep at night. That's as bright as it gets for six months of the year, right? I mean, it's pretty grim. I don't think you could pay me to live there. But about 10 years ago, some engineers came up with a plan. They said, we have had enough of living (laughs) in permanent darkness. So they installed these mirrors up on one side of the valley that would then reflect the sun's light down into their city. So uh, they only get about five or six hours now of sunlight, and it's only in this one small part of the town, in the town square. It's like an area about the size of this room. (laughs) It's like a giant sun-driven spotlight, (laughs) and the people all come there, and they they sort of huddle, and they sit on their benches, and they're like, wow, this is what sun feels like. Uh, I would move, but you know, they're like, we've got our little spotlights, so we're, we're happy. Now, if you remember, last week, Pastor Michael was preaching about uh, on John 1, verses 6 and 7, talking about John the Baptist. And we read in verse 7, he, meaning John the Baptist, was not the light, but he came bear, to bear witness about the light. Right? John functioned a little bit like one of these giant mirrors reflecting the sun down into the valley. He was not the true light, but he was, he was pointing to the true light, a witness to the light. But then if John the Baptist is like this this mirror, these giant mirrors, then we're going to discover this week that in some sense Jesus is then like the sun itself, right? Bringing light into that dark valley, bringing both new life, bringing comfort and joy and hope and peace. 
But the sad reality, as we're going to read, is that not everyone wants that light. Even in this town of Rikan in, in Norway, uh, there was significant opposition to this project to build these mirrors. Oh, it's too expensive. It's too much hassle. It's too much bother. What a waste of money and time and effort. And we've been fine for hundreds of years without sunlight. And it's just the way it's always been. Where we can keep going like this. But to those who went ahead with this project, to those who opened their doors and stepped out into the light, it has been life-changing for the people in this town. And we see a similar pattern in our text today. We're going to read that the true light came into the world, and yet his own people did not recognize him. They did not receive him. However, to those who opened their doors to receive this gift, who believed in his name, he gave the life-changing right to become children of God. Experiencing not just a few fleeting hours of, of reflected sunlight from a giant mirror, but adoption into God's family as sons and daughters of the great high king, experiencing true eternal life. And so the main point of our text today is quite simple. It's just receive and believe Jesus, the true light, so that you can also become a child of God. Now, my first uh, encouragement to you from uh, the text today is, is this. is choose the, re the real candle. Choose the real candle. I know it sounds a little bit odd, but if, if you bear with me here, I'll explain what I mean. So uh, look with me at text starting in verse 9, if you have your Bibles John says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Light has already been a major, a significant theme in the prologue to the book of John. And it's going to continue to be a significant image that John draws on throughout his gospel. It's an image we can all resonate with, right? And understand, because light and darkness, they, they provide boundaries to our existence. They bookend our our days with, with the sun rising in the morning and setting at night, they, they bookend our lives. The light of, of physical birth and the darkness of death. And so it seems fitting that in the bleak midwinter, we, we pause to remember the true light that has broken into the world, dispelling darkness once and for all. As we heard a few weeks ago, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It will never overcome it. But what is this light that shines so brightly that cannot be defeated either by darkness or death? Well, to answer that question, we're actually going to start at the very end of verse 9. This light, John says, was coming into the world. Now, obviously, he's talking about Jesus here, and his coming into the world is a reference to the incarnation, the birth of Christ, the moment when Jesus humbled himself and took on human flesh and came and lived among us. As we sung just a few minutes ago, unto us a child is born, right? But not just any child, this baby was different. As we just sang, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Savior born to set the captives free, the promised one, the Messiah come, and his love will reign throughout eternity. Unto us, the Son of God has come, and we should sing hallelujah. I mean, choirs of angels gave glory to God at his birth. 
But at the same time, he was also a real, live, visceral, physical, touchable, tangible, actual little baby in swaddling costs, lying in a real manger, right? I mean, there's no nativity scene that I've seen is ever perfect or probably really historically accurate. They're all representations. But, but the idea is to remind us, this, he came to earth as a real baby, in a real manger, with real parents. And as he grew and matured, he walked and he talked and he ate and drank and laughed and cried and, and everything else. He was both really fully God and also really fully man. So now, go back to the beginning of the sentence. This is what John uh, means when he talks about the true light, the light representing an actual person, not just a concept but a, but, but a he, a person, not an, not an it, but a he that actually came into the world. John is talking about a light that is genuine, authentic, the real deal, right? God himself, as opposed to a mere copy or imitation, something imperfect or temporary. I don't know, do any of you remember uh, uh, Sony Walkmans? Any of you get some nods? Yes, yes, okay. Phew. Great. Um, I remember when I was a kid, that's all I wanted for Christmas was a Sony Walkman. I was very excited. You know, I'm like, I'm sure this is it. I open it up, and it was a portable cassette player, yes, but it wasn't the Sony Walkman. It wasn't the name brand, right? It was this odd generic off-brand thing because it was cheaper, and my parents were like, whatever. It's just, it's just to play a tape. What difference does it make? But I was a whiny, snotty little kid, and, and I was frustrated because it wasn't cool to have the generic one. I had to have that Sony name on it. I feel for my parents now. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel for parents everywhere because we continue to struggle with that problem today. And although the pursuit of, of, of name brand gear is just a marketing gimmick, right, to try and get us to part from our hard-earned cash, the quest for the genuine article, right, that's a real and an important one. So you think about it, the proliferation of social media over the last 10 years has created this huge chasm between the artificial perfection so easily achieved in, in the filtered and heavily produced online world and the messy, scrappy imperfections of the unfiltered, unproduced world that we actually live in, right? And this is a huge problem. So what are parents and teachers and, and pastors and everyone else trying to do right now? Drive people away from the artificial reality of their phones and back into the actual reality in which we all really live, where your clothes don't ever quite fit right, and the cookies aren't perfectly round, and, and the parties don't go quite as planned, and the presents aren't the ones that you were expecting to get. Because that's real, true life, right? With wrinkles and limps and dents and scratches and brokenness and mistakes and misunderstandings. And, and I want you to live in that real world, the true world, not, not the artificial world of, of Hallmark Christmas movies and, and Instagram reels. Not because this real world is, is easy or fun all the time, but because it's more genuine and authentic. It's the difference I brought a little, it's the difference between, you know, at Christmas we have these, these great little 
battery-operated candle. It's very safe. It's not going to catch the house on fire. I can leave it on all night long. It's got a nice timer. But it's not a real candle, right? So for our Advent, we have, uh, we have our, our real candle, right? With an actual flame that if I don't pay attention to, could catch the wreath on fire, right? <laughs> it's going to drip hot wax all down the side. The kids want to play with it, and I got to make sure they don't burn their hands. Well, not anymore. They're too old. But <laughs> like Eliana, stop playing with the candle. <laughs> I'm the one that's plays with the candle. But, um, but, you know, when they were little, it's like don't burn yourself on the candle because it's a real candle. This is nice. It's not a false light, but it's not a true light. It's not a real light in the way that a real candle is. And in a similar way, Jesus is going to talk later in the Gospel of John about being the true bread and the true vine, right? So in the desert, the people were given manna from God. That, that, that was real. They, they ate and they were sustained by it. But then it was pointing ahead to the real, true, genuine, ultimate bread of life, Jesus himself. And in a similar way, the vine in the Old Testament is most often a reference to Israel, right? God's chosen people. But Jesus says, now, I am the true vine, the real, genuine, ultimate vine. And unlike unfaithful Israel, Jesus, the true vine, will perfectly obey God's law and perfectly fulfill all his promises. And so here in John, Jesus is presented as the real, true, genuine, ultimate light, which gives light to everyone. The law of Moses provided light to the people for generations, but now in Christ, the true, full light of salvation is made available to everyone. The gift of salvation presented to everyone without distinction. Right? Jesus' disciples are told to take this message, the gospel, to the ends of the earth, to every tribe, nation, tongue, every people group, every corner of creation. The gift that lay wrapped under the tree has now been opened and the present offered to all. And Jesus says, all you have to do is seize it. Don't settle for the, the transitory, the, the, the fake, the impermanent Refuse to live with idols that promise everything and deliver nothing. Choose instead the, the, the real candle, dripping wax and all. Now, having said that, sadly, of course, as you know, not everyone will accept that gift. And it's to that problem that John turns next in the next verse. So, Look at with me at verse 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We're going to unpack these verses in a moment, but, but let me start by saying that we, as we approach Christmas, my, my second encouragement to you today from the text comes right out of our song this morning, Joy to the World, and that's to prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts to give him room. Look again at verses 9 and 10 together. John repeats the word world four times 
in the space of barely a dozen words. Clearly, he's trying to stress something very important. And as it turns out for John, this word world is incredibly important. He mentions it another 57 times in his gospel, more than any other book in the New Testament. In fact, uh, but what does he mean here? On the one hand, there's a sense in which John is really just talking about all of creation again. We already read in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The entire universe was made in and through the Word, and our planet is just a part of that overall creation. And so on one level, John is simply reiterating that same concept of incarnation, right? The world, meaning our planet in particular, was made through him, through Jesus, and that's the planet to which he then came. But we can't leave it there because it's not quite that straightforward. If you look at the end of verse 10, John indicates there may be a problem. He says, the world did not know him. Clearly here, he's not talking about an inanimate planet floating through the universe. A planet can't accept or, or reject Jesus Christ. He's talking about people. People are the ones who are the focus of John's attention here, Jesus' attention. And it's people who didn't know or recognize him. In fact, if we uh, look at the, John's use of the word world, we begin to see that the world for John is not a great place at all. The world is a place that needs to be saved because it's lost. It needs to be rescued and enlightened. The world is a place that has to be and indeed will be judged. The world is a place of darkness and depravity that hates Jesus and hates his followers. In fact, the world is to be resisted by Jesus' followers. The world, we are told, cannot receive the spirit of truth. Probably because, according to John, the world is ruled over by Satan and will rejoice, rejoice over Jesus' death, thinking that's the end of his ministry. We got rid of him. The world is described as a place of tribulation and suffering. According to Jesus, believers are, are not of this world, just as Jesus is not of this world. And yet, at the same time, Jesus will then send his believers out into the world also. Why? Because the world's a dark place filled with lost people who need to hear the gospel. You're, of course, familiar with John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. And one of the first lessons I learned in seminary was that this verse speaks less about the extent of God's love, like, like God loved the whole world, like it's that big, and more about the depths of God's love, of God's love for the world. He God loved the world despite its consistently sinful rebellion and rejection. The great theologian B.B. Warfield puts it like this. He says, the point is not the world is so big that it takes a great deal of love to embrace it all, but that the world is so bad that it takes a great kind of love to love it at all. As we go back to our text in John 1, one of my Greek dictionaries defines the word world as follows. It says, the world and everything that belongs to it appears as that which is hostile to God, i.e. lost in sin, wholly at odds with anything divine, ruined, depraved, 
That really doesn't sound very Christmassy, does it? <laughs> right? But this is a far more accurate description of the world in which we actually live. Jesus made this world, it fell into corruption and decay and sin and rejection and rebellion. And now this is the world in all its mess into which Jesus, the true light, came. So there are no naughty and nice lists, right? We are all guilty of rebellion. We are all on the naughty list, <laughs> according to God's word. We're all guilty of rebellion, lost in sin without Christ's direct intervention. Lost were it not for the fact that the true light did in fact come into this world. Even though, as John says at the end of verse 10, the world was not surprisingly, given everything I just mentioned, did not know him. But all this bleak, dark news, all this heavy news actually makes the birth of Christ so much more shocking and incredible to me. A healthy and complete understanding of the bad news allows us to see and hear and experience the good news of Christmas Day in all of its glorious, life-changing joy. But sadly, it gets worse. Look at verse 11. He came to his own. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, maybe some of you have seen that the TV show Undercover Boss. Are you familiar with this, any of you? You know, it's uh, one of these reality shows. The executive at a company, he puts on a disguise, and he dresses up, and he, he, he pretends to be a new entry-level worker in his business, and he meets and hangs out with the sort of bottom-line employees and learns what's really happening, what they really think of him and the business and everything else. And I couldn't help but think of that when reading this passage. Jesus came to his own, and they didn't recognize him. Except, incredibly, unlike the TV show, Jesus came openly and forthrightly. He wasn't wearing a disguise, right? He wasn't pretending to be someone he wasn't. There was no ruse, no game, no acting, no pretending. He was foretold by the prophets, right? Announced by angels. John the Baptist was sent to point to Jesus, right? He's like, I'm not the light. He's the light. He's the one. Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, boldly proclaims, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the source of abundant life. There was, in the end, nothing undercover about it. And yet, his own people, for the most part, did not receive him. We see this pattern over and over again throughout his earthly ministry, right? Rejected by most of his family, rejected by most of the people in his hometown, rejected by most of the Pharisees and religious leaders, rejected by most of his own people. So how then can we ensure that we don't fall into that same trap ourselves? That instead we prepare room for him in our hearts. Well, if you already know Jesus, then this text is a call to spend time in honest self-reflection, right? How much time and space do you afford Jesus in your life today? Now, obviously, Bible reading and prayer are part of that, but I'm talking about something much bigger. 
Right? How do you regularly prepare room for him in your heart, with your thoughts, your desires, your dreams, with your hopes, your anxieties, your fears, as you go about your work, as you, as you play your favorite sport, as you do your schoolwork, as you buy and wrap presents? Is Jesus just one little jigsaw piece in the giant jigsaw puzzle of your life? Or is he something more? This is why I love the nativity scenes, right? Because however they're set up, Jesus is always right at the center and all eyes are directed on him. Even the animals, most of the time, looking at the baby Jesus. Is that what's true of my life? Is that that what's true of your life? And if not, then what steps do we need to take to reorient our lives around Jesus. All of which brings me to my my third and final encouragement today, which is based on verses 12 and 13. And that's to receive the gift and become children of God. Look at verse 12. He says, But to all who did receive him, In comparison to those who rejected him and chose to live in darkness, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is really one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Although I I pray to say that about a lot of texts. So it's definitely top 10, top 10 favorite verses in the Bible. Like just a few moments ago, I was talking about the depravity and the darkness represented by the world that for the most part has rejected Jesus. But all hope is not lost because some people did in fact receive him. More than that, the text says these people believed in his name. And as a result, they were given the right to be called children of God, to be adopted into his family. But what does it mean to receive Jesus and believe in his name? The true light is a gift given by God to us to receive, which at this time of year when we're talking so much about presence is a great way to share with people about the true gift of salvation that we have in Christ But then we respond to that gift with belief, and believing in the name of Jesus refers to a complete and total commitment to Jesus as Lord, Savior, King, Ruler, basically as the only one in whom and through whom you can be saved. To receive and believe reflects a willingness to lay down your life completely for Christ, and then to actually do it, right? to follow through on that. And look, in today's day and age, when radical autonomy and total freedom of self-expression is like the highest possible value in our culture, voluntarily laying down your life and choosing to follow somebody else, to submit yourself to the authority of someone else, that's that's, not just difficult, that's bizarre, that's strange, that's odd especially when that person is God, someone you can't see. 
a boss or a president, they can compel obedience by force. But to receive and to believe and to follow Jesus is our own free choice. And it's not just a one-time momentary decision, right? But this is a lifelong covenant commitment, a, a daily dying to self. Every morning, waking up and, and, and reaffirming your allegiance to the king. Your daily devotions, they're an opportunity to daily, regularly reorient your heart, your mind, your life around Jesus, to recommit, to rededicate your life to him. Because your heart and, and mind are constantly being led astray by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, right? Again, negative connotations. The world working in all its evil and depravity to draw my heart away from Christ. My default setting, apart from the work of Christ in my life, is selfishness, self-centeredness, apathy, laziness. That's my sin nature, and I need the Holy Spirit's help to do battle against that every single day. That's the kind of life John has in mind here where he talks about believing in Jesus, not just a simple, oh, I believe. But involving every part of your life, your mind, your reasoning, your thoughts, your emotions, your desires, your feelings, your actions, your behaviors. It's a a package deal, every part of your life. But this work, this effort and commitment, it doesn't earn your salvation. It doesn't create God's love for you, right? It's the fruit. It's the result of the work of salvation that God has already done in your lives. We receive the freely given gift, and then we respond with this faith. Belief is the Holy Spirit-enabled outcome of a heart that has been illuminated by the light of Christ. And if you've not yet taken that step of faith today, then now is the time to do that, right? The true light has come to rescue you and cleanse you and and make you new and whole again, to bring you peace and joy and abundant life. And the way you receive that is by turning away from your sins, turning away from everything that you know to be wrong and false, confessing your guilt and your need for your Savior, and then putting your trust and hope in Christ to be your only hope in life and death. And the blessings that come from that are beyond measure. John says those who believe in the name of Jesus are given the right to be called children of God. And this is a spiritual work that has nothing to do with human lineage, as John says in verse 13. Nothing to do with the will of man, but only with the will of God. So your earthly parents may have been good, bad, indifferent, something in between. We all are, right? But our heavenly Father is perfect in every way. He provides safety and protection and encouragement and support. He nurtures and guides and leads and protects. He is gentle and lowly and patient beyond measure. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He he handles us so gently when we're broken. And he fans our faith into a fire when we're weak. This is a dark and lonely world filled with false lights and empty promises and sinful people. And even if we're not literally orphans, there will always be moments when we feel alone, 
isolated, insecure, confused, lost, even hopeless. But John says, reminds us, Jesus is the true light, the parent who won't ever fail us or let us down, who never loses his cool, who treats us with gentleness and kindness, who rescues us, who redeems us, who breaks the chains of guilt and shame and condemnation and leads us into the light of his unfailing love. Right? He is the one who lifts us up out of the miry mud, who washes us clean of when we get stained with the filthiness of sin. Right? He's the one who makes us whole when we've been wounded and hurt and abandoned. He's the only one who will never, ever, ever leave you, who will never forsake you. Indeed, he cannot ever forget you or overlook you. Right? He doesn't play games. He's never manipulative or abusive or coercive. He's filled with compassion and with understanding and looks for ways to bring blessing and provision. Your heavenly Father is never too distracted or too busy to pay attention to you. And he delights to spend time with you. As a child of God, you have freedom to enter the throne room of God Anytime you want, walk right in, access granted, right? The children of God are heirs to the kingdom. Children of God receive the gift of the Spirit. As children of God, your salvation is secure, your future is certain. Your heavenly Father, He fights for you when you're weak, and He's a shelter for you when you're weary and scared. As children of God, you have been given everything You could ever need to follow Jesus faithfully in this broken world as he leads you on the path to glory. The true light brings us comfort and joy. And our only response can then be praise and worship and adulation. Joy to the world. Or as Mary sings and as we read just before the service. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Right? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. Mary's role in history was utterly unique, but now for those of us who have received and believed in his name and been given the right to be called children of God, we too recognize that God has looked on the humble estate of his servants. And we can sing this same praise with Mary. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, rescuing me from darkness and sin. And holy is his name. And his mercy, which I have experienced now in my life, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate, those who recognize their need for a Savior, who receive Jesus and that light in their lives. He has filled the hungry with good things, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the rich, those who reject the light, who refuse to receive him, he is sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
Jesus Christ is the true light. And this Christmas, may we all receive that gift, believe in his name, and experience the joy, the hope that comes from being called children of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for coming into this world as the true light that brings life. Lord, we recognize that, that we once lived in the world, darkened by sin, lost, hopeless, helpless. And you came, Lord, your light has shone brightly into our lives. Lord, we have been born again now, not through our own will, Lord, but through your will. And Lord, we give you thanks for this true light. We pray that you would help us to walk in it now. In Jesus' name, amen.